In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. It's a strange world, Carla. It's a strange world. Hi, everyone. It's uh, <laughs> Craigslist, episode 10, number 91. Today, we'll be discussing David Lynch's classic. The only way that would have been a creepier opening is if you had done it backwards, like in Twin Peaks. Oh, sure. And then I would have been like, what? And you would have been like, it's a strange world. <laughs> just so you know, we just ran that backwards. That wasn't Carla making some exactly weird sound. That uh, that actually was some backwards uh, masking tape. Masking tape? Something like that. Uh, Blue Velvet is the movie we'll be talking about today. And, uh, spoilers ahead, Carla, but, uh, I'm gathering that you didn't care for this movie. Um, I think this is possibly the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. The worst movie you've ever seen in your life? I really have been trying really hard to think of another movie that I disliked equally. Really? But I also am a very forgiving person, so typically <laughs> I don't remember the bad shit. So it could just be my memory. Okay. This is fresh in your mind. This is fresh in my mind. We finished watching it yesterday. Can you think of any movie that I've disliked as much? Mm. Um, I'm just filling space. But, well, Burma. What was the uh, Scarlett Johansson alien movie? Oh, right. Uh, under the skin. Uh, that one I thought was a good movie, though. Okay, it just made me very uncomfortable and sad. Okay, but I thought it was well made and an interesting film. Well, uh, Blue Velvet is a 1986 release by uh, David Lynch, the uh, the king of uh, terrible, <laughs> the king of terrible uh, dreamscapes and uh, a scathing critique of the. Uh, of American suburbia. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep, keep saying words and attaching them to David Lynch's name. <laughs> keep trying. Uh, this is a very well-regarded movie, Carla. I don't, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I didn't do any internet research. I know you sent me something to watch, but I wanted to come in, uh, guns blazing, ready to take down blue velvet. And I didn't want anyone to sway my opinion okay. with this garbage YouTube David Lynch stuff you were sending me Okay, talking about how great David Lynch is. Well, it sounds like we're ready to go then. We're ready. What okay. are, how, where are we starting? <laughs> well, I probably did more academic research for this episode. Cause you know, I was going to demand an explanation as to why this would possibly be anywhere next to the words best film in, sure. on your list. I've got some, I've got some quotes to read. I did a, I did a lot of research. Uh, there's a lengthy David Foster Wallace profile of David Lynch from Premier Magazine from uh, when he was making Lost Highway in the mid-90s. So mm-hmm. I, I went and reread that. 
Uh, I read Roger Ebert's one star review uh, from you, when Roger. the movie was originally released. So it sounds like you and Rod are on the same page there. Um, can we just quickly, I just want to make this distinction because I'm actually a fan of Twin Peaks. I do like Twin Peaks. Okay. Although I did recently watch, rewatch some of Twin Peaks and maybe didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was in college. Um, but I just want to make the distinction between talking about David Lynch or Blue Velvet. Okay. Meaning, oh, when I say that I didn't like Blue Velvet, that doesn't mean that I'm writing David Lynch off forever. Okay. I just think this is a terrible fucking movie. <laughs> but it's also one of his first, isn't it? Not really. Uh, his uh, debut was Eraserhead 1977, which was a movie he'd been making for years. It started this is as still a, early on a student's in his film. Career, right? Yeah, he made uh, The Elephant Man in 1980. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dune in 1984. And uh, so I guess this was his fourth feature film. I did not know that he did Dune. Have you seen Dune? No. I've never seen it either. All right. Great. Well, go ahead. Tell me some of your research. <laughs> Defend yourself in this terrible piece of shit film. Well, maybe we should get into uh, a little history of me in this movie. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the next part. Okay. So uh, this is Craig's first time. It's 1986. Uh, I'm at the Key Theater in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., uh, I remember seeing this movie with probably with my friends Andrew and Jennifer. Uh, so I would have been 16 or 17 when this movie came out. And I think, uh, that's the kind of time in your life where you're, you're craving something, uh, edgier and, and more dangerous and, uh, something that kind of makes you rethink what a movie could be. And I just remember being blown away by this movie and like right away in the first five minutes, there's like 10 things that you've never seen in a movie before. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, I just think David Lynch is communicating in a whole other cinematic language than anyone else. You could love it or you could hate it, but you, you can't deny that he's unique and I think from the, uh, the opening titles with the, uh, the blue velvet and the, the creepy strings playing and then going right into Bobby Vinton's blue velvet, uh, white picket fences, roses, fireman waving, uh, ear in grass, uh, the seamy underbelly of going into the, the grass. There's just, uh, all this imagery and, cinematic language right away uh that tells you right away this is something that you've never seen before and uh 17 year old craig was excited hmm interesting how did jennifer feel about it <laughs> i think all of my friends liked it because we we watched it then several times on video too i remember we, we would watch Eraserhead a lot too uh me and my group of friends and that's uh, to me, that's a far more disturbing movie <laughs> than Blue Velvet is, uh, just because of the, uh, the imagery in it. Um, but I think it was kind of like that era where you're starting to, there was such a thing as midnight movies. Uh, was that a thing in your childhood at all? Nope. <laughs> uh, I don't think I ever actually went to a movie at midnight, but Eraserhead was kind of like one of the things on the midnight movie circuit where, you know, things would play at midnight on like Fridays and Saturdays at your local movie theater for forever. Like Rocky Horror Picture Show mm -hmm. was another one like that. 
um, El Topo, uh, all these like weird trippy movies from the the seventies and eighties, but kind of play as midnight movies. And Eraserhead was one of those. So in suburban Virginia, uh, our version of that was to rent these movies from Blockbuster or Errol's probably was the local video store <laughs> at the time. We'd have a pizza party and we'd watch, uh, <laughs> Blue Velvet. Uh. uh yeah, I remember my friend Andrew, uh, just memorizing all of, uh, Dennis Hopper's dialogue in this movie and just kind of quoting it. Gross. Ad infinitum. Were you like, Andrew, you're being the worst. I don't want to be, I don't want to <laughs> hang out with you. That's how I'd feel if one of my friends memorized all of Dennis Hopper's dialogue from this movie. No, we thought be it like, was. You're a fucking weirdo. We thought it was hilarious. Ugh. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> We're, we're just going to have a hard time, uh, which I think, you know, oh, we should probably address the idea that Ben Acker is not here. Oh, that's right. We announced that Ben Acker would be our guest for this episode. I'm really wishing he was here right now. Because I hated it as much as you suspected. Uh, expected. I wonder if Acker ended up watching it uh, and if he liked it or hated it. So, uh, Acker, please weigh in. Yeah, we had a scheduling issue and uh, Ben was out of town when we needed to record. Uh, and we're going to get him soon on uh, on an episode within the next few weeks uh, because we really want Ben as a guest. And I think we've got a great movie to pair with him. So our apologies, those of you who were tuning in to hear Ben Acker. Yeah, I um, I wish somebody else was here too because I really don't have anything good to say about this movie. Okay. Um, I, I did fall asleep. Briefly. Briefly. Uh, we watched it in three sittings. Yeah, right? I think so, yeah. An hour, then a half an hour, and a half an hour. And um, it felt like watching a, a really long student film. A student film? Yeah. It feels <laughs> – the cinematography is really bad. It feels very one-dimensional. Um, the, sh- the way that it's edited together or like the close-ups even just felt so out of place and awkwardly positioned to me. Um, and that's just the technical stuff. The dialogue is hilariously bad. Uh, people don't speak like this in real life ever. Well, I think that's intentional. Okay. That's but the, di- the dialogue's supposed to be kind of stilted. Whether it's intentional or not, it was uh, irritating. <laughs> Um, and then I don't like to watch movies where women are abused and don't have a voice in the story. That would be my biggest, my, and I'm, I'm trying, I know this is a comedy podcast, uh, and I'm trying not to get too serious about it, but like, that's just not something that I enjoy watching. Uh, so is it already sure, whatever that means to you or to people listening? Um, is it offensive? Yes. Does the point that he's making make up for how offensive it was to me? No. And, uh, yeah, that's my, that was my takeaway from this film. Okay. Maybe we should get into, uh, the plot of Blue Velvet. Sure. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, it takes place in a, uh, a small town called Lumberton. Uh, a young man named, uh, Jeffrey Beaumont, uh, comes back home after his father has a, uh, a heart attack. Uh, and, uh, he ends up, uh, falling in with a, uh, a singer named Dorothy Valens, played by Isabella Rossellini. Jeffrey, of course, played by Kyle MacLachlan, kind of a stand-in for uh, David Lynch. And uh, there's uh, there's a bad guy, Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper. And uh, so it's kind of the uh, the eternal battle between uh, good and evil. 
<laughs> and uh, of course, uh, <laughs> Jeffrey has another love interest, uh, Sandy, played by uh, the young Laura Dern, uh, who I who movie. I like almost all the time, and really had a hard time watching anything she did in this film. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not really that sorry, though. I mean, if you're no, gonna, that's fine. If you're going to ask me to watch these movies, well, I can't. I can't really apologize for how I feel about them. You did have the option of only watching 40 minutes. I know, of it. but I feel like we're not even to number 10 yet. Okay, we haven't even gone to 10. You really, you're truly trying to save your passes because yeah. you do have three passes that you could use. I, I am familiar with a couple uh, coming up that I might want to pass on. Okay, just from having known you over the years, <laughs> not because you pulled me aside to tell me what was coming up. Okay. Um. Although this was one when we started this that I thought uh, maybe I'll use my pass on that one, and then I and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to stick it out, and then that way I have a, a real reason to hate it, sure, not just hearsay. So, so now now I feel educated and I feel like I can verbalize my hate. So no regrets of making it through the whole thing. Um, I'm, ooh. <laughs> uh, I probably should have passed on this one. Okay, I probably should have watched something else, like. Death Becomes Her, which Isabella Rosalini is in. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that. Uh, uh, it's, not, it's not that great. Okay. Um, but you haven't seen a lot of David Lynch. I haven't. I, Like I said, I'm a fan of Twin Peaks. I hadn't seen it in a while. Um, I think the last time I watched the, it from the beginning to the end was in college, and I watched it in high school, I remember. But over the years, I've seen episodes from it and I I really do like it a lot. I think that his style actually works really well in the television format and because probably he couldn't do some of the shit that he got away with in in Blue Velvet, <laughs> I probably liked it more. Sure, this is an R-rated version of the same sort of uh yeah. themes and material that he explores in in Twin Peaks. Although I will say when I was rewatching some of Twin Peaks, I was again a little like uh, put off by, by the way that the women were being, um, used in the show. Really? Yeah. I remember it being so lady centric. Yeah, but they're all, uh, mo- not all, but most of them are in some sort of victim role. At least, you know, the four or five that I rewatched recently. Um, yeah. Well, maybe he's just exploring, you know, classic cinematic archetypes and kind of commenting on them. Sure, we could we could say that. If it's a pattern, who knows? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of his stuff. So you haven't seen Lost Highway no. or Mulholland Drive? I have not. Uh, which was recently named the best film of the 21st century. Mulholland Drive was? Yeah. By what? By who? By a poll of critics. Critics love David Lynch. <laughs> Do you fancy yourself a critic? Uh, of the amateur variety, sure. <laughs> I've got a podcast where I talk about movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's got kind of a following. No. Uh, but, yeah, I uh, I have mixed feelings about David Lynch. Some of his movies work for me and some do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kind of follows dream logic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the things that are up there on the screen are, are not meant to uh, be literal. Um, it's meant to feel like a dream mm-hmm. uh, in a way. So I think uh, he kind of gets under your skin uh, in a way that few other directors do. You know who I – and I – maybe I read this somewhere or heard this and that's why I'm saying it. Um, 
But when you say dream logic, it makes me think of Terrence Malick. Malick. Uh-huh. Um, I've only seen a couple of his films, but I think he does a good job of making it feel dreamlike, but also making the images pop in a way that supports that sure. thesis. So you didn't care for the work of cinematographer Frederick Elms in this movie. Is that who it was? Frederick Elms, sure. And is it possible that I just saw a bad version of it? I don't think that happens anymore no. now that we watch it on. <laughs> no, we watched it. Uh, we taped it off of uh, Stars Encore. Yeah, so it's not like putting in a VHS tape. And yeah, bad. no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think it was in HD, but it was like we watched it on cable, and you know, we saw the the widescreen version of it. Do you happen to know what else he's done? Uh, he's done a lot of movies. He's worked with David Lynch uh, and other things, and he's uh, he's worked a lot recently. Okay. Uh, so he is a, he's a well-known cinematographer. Frederick Elms? Frederick Elms, E-L-M-E-S. Okay. Look him up. I, I'm going to. Uh, let's just get into some Carla's quotes because oh I think, uh, maybe Carla in the moment of watching the movie, um, maybe that Carla who watched the movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, at that time can speak for the Carla who's here right now. Okay. Um, Right away, uh, I don't know if, I think this was just over the opening titles, which are, are shot over some willowing, uh, blue velvet. Uh, you said creepy opening. Good, good. Right on point with expectations. <laughs> <laughs> so right away, this is what you were bringing this attitude to it right no, away. I was actually saying that as a compliment because yeah. Twin Peaks is really creepy. And okay. I actually really enjoy like the you're, creepiness of that. You were hoping for fun creepy. I was hoping for fun creepy. <laughs> Not upsetting. I want to leave the room and go hide under the bed creeping. Okay. Uh, when the fireman waves directly to the camera, you said, you're a creep. <laughs> Still fun creepy at that point? Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. The smile and wave of the fireman is pretty weird. Carla also enjoyed calling out the obvious uh, metaphors and imagery of the movie. A white picket fence means happiness. <laughs> Uh, when Jeffrey's dad has a heart attack at the beginning, of the, uh, that's another thing of like that, that image, uh, or that scene is so disconcerting of, of the guy having a heart attack and the, the hose getting a kink and then the dog drinking out of the hose. Like oh, that, yeah, that's another yeah. thing that kind of like introduces you to the, the mind of David Lynch right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Um, you said, is he having a heart attack on his neck? Why did I say that? Oh, because he grabbed his neck and fell down. Yeah. Is that a thing that people do? Yeah, I think... Uh, I guess I always just see arms. Your heart is on the left side, so I think it's your right side that goes numb when you have a heart attack. Oh, interesting. Okay. About the dog, you said, that's the dog from Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been a Jack Russell. Yes. It uh, I don't think it was literally the dog from Frasier, though I will do research <laughs> into that. When we see Kyla McLaughlin for the first time, are you looking at Frederick Elms? I am, but I'm listening. Okay. What are some of his credits? He actually has done a lot of stuff that I really like. <laughs> he did the Ice Storm, which I love. Oh, yeah. Is that on your top 100? No. Oh, God. It's on the second um, 100. He did Kinsey, which is a pretty good movie. He did Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. Um, he did, 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 did do the night of, which was a TV series we sure. recently watched and enjoyed. That's correct. Okay. So I guess. Uh, his student, I guess he graduated from film, college. <laughs> cinematography in Blue Velvet did not ruin his uh, career. By the way, that would have been 19 what? 86? Is yeah. that when this came out? So 
he could have gotten better. Sure. The first thing that I saw on that list that I liked of his was the ice storm, which okay. was 12 years later. Okay. So the, just because of, you know, that doesn't prove me wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. This is an opinion podcast, by yeah, the way. Exactly. This is two opinions. Right. Yeah. And I'm always right. Uh, uh, when we first see Kyle McLaughlin, you said, baby Kyle. Oh, baby Kyle. And, uh, when he finds the severed ear on the ground, the severed ear that, uh, we eventually find out belongs to, uh, Dorothy's husband who's been kidnapped by, by Frank Booth. Uh, I, I don't know if I can replicate the exact sound that you made, but, uh, you know, we see the ear. It's gross. There's ants crawling over it. Uh, which is kind of a Salvador Dali surrealist image, right? Sure. And, uh, and it, he eventually picks up the ear and puts it in a bag, right? I think this was the sound you made. Uh, uh, is that accurate? Is that- I guess so. If that's how I sound when I'm nervous. Okay. That's it sounded like a sex sound. And. <laughs> <laughs> I know your sex sounds and that was not it. Yeah. Your sex sounds are more. No, don't okay. do this. <laughs> Just an opinion. Um, and then you, you verbalized, uh, maybe what you're feeling. Why would you ever touch that? That's not something a normal person would do unless you're a serial killer. Right. You wouldn't, if you found an ear in the field, you wouldn't go and pick it up. You don't know what a person would do. To take it do. into a, cop station i might no you wouldn't you'd be like that's disgusting i better go make a phone call and let the cops know that there's an ear in this field you wouldn't pick it up and take it there i'd be like oh i've seen this in the movies this is what people do they pick it up no i'd be like i've seen this on law and order you don't touch the evidence (laughs) uh (laughs) you also said i could stop seeing shots of this ear that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you got tired of that right away. Um, you also said at this point, this looks like a student film. So it, it really does. Very consistent. Uh, you were thrown off by the mixing of eras in this movie because mm-hmm. all the cars are like 50s and 60s kind of cars, you know? Yeah. Uh, though some of the wardrobe is maybe harking back to the 60s. Some of it looks kind of 80s, you know. And I think that's intentional that, you know, there, there's kind of a blurring of eras and, you know, Lynch, I think, wanting to pay homage to the 50s. Uh, I get that. And I realized it after we started talking about it. However, this kind of thing, these choices don't hold up long term Okay, when directors make choices like these. Because uh, if you're in the 80s, then it feels like, oh, this could be present day. But when it's 30 years later, you're like, this w- This could be the 50s, this could be the 80s, this could be the 90s, where are we, when are we, when When is? When does this exist? You're saying it works better at the time, but yes. now it's just annoying. Exactly. Now it just seems like not a real choice. It seems like a choice he made because he only wanted to spend money on cars and not all the other details to make it from the 50s or 60s. <laughs> Uh, so you said this is not taking place in the eighties, right? And I think it is. I think it it's is. supposed to, supposed to right. be present day. Um, although they all have cars without seatbelts in them. <laughs> when Jeffrey breaks into Dorothy's apartment and spies on her through the, uh, the closet, then she catches him and then she, uh, she pulls his pants down, uh-huh. exposing to us his, uh, his Kyle McLaughlin's bare buttocks. Uh, you said, now I know why you like it. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> you like Kyle's movie. I love Kyle McLaughlin's bare butt. I was so excited <laughs> to see it. Uh, no, like, I won't deny, like, as a teenager, like, that there was something that felt kind of, like, sexually, you know, dangerous and titillating about it. Uh, wow. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when she asked for him to, uh, hit her, she says, hit me, and you said, this is an idiotic movie. It is. Those scenes are idiotic. I don't believe in censorship, I'd like to say. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not saying this movie shouldn't exist. Sure. Uh, I'm just saying I don't see what good or what how this is being helpful to how women are portrayed sure. in general. And it does really make me want to understand why it's on your top 100 movie, movie list. <laughs> Did I get too serious again? Not at all. <laughs> at this point in the movie, uh, you fell asleep for a bit and then we turned on mascots. Oh, that's right. <laughs> We switched over to the new Christopher Guest movie, <laughs> a lighthearted romp through the uh, the world of mascots. So right. that's where we first uh, paused Blue Velvet. Uh, and then we, we picked it up the next day. Um, well, no, here we didn't. I didn't fall asleep and then we changed the channel. We watched that horrifying scene with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. And then I because I had just woken up right before that scene started. Okay. Because somebody was yelling, I'm sure. And then I got to, I got to see that scene. Thank you so much. Uh, you woke up from a dream into David Lynch's dream. Uh, yeah. And, uh, no, I probably fell asleep for like three minutes. I fell asleep when she was singing at the club and then okay. I woke up when he was hiding in her closet. And then I saw the part where Dennis Hopper comes in and he does all the weird stuff with the gas mask and then he violates her. And then I said, can we watch something else? <laughs> and that's when we turned on mascots. We turned on mascots. Uh, saw a lot of friends of ours, a lot of friends of ours in that movie. Yeah. Lots of people in mascots. <laughs> um, when we picked it up the next day, there's a, uh, there's a long scene with Kyle McLaughlin and Lord Dern in the car, uh, uh where he says, uh, why are there people like Frank? <laughs> and, uh, and then she talks about her dream that she has about the Robins. Uh, Carla said, this is the worst. That is one of the worst. Oh, scenes from two actors that I actually really like. Really? Yeah. I, I really like both of those actors, and I, I really disliked that scene. Then you added, this music's not helping the scene at all. It's not. It's the same composer from Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, Angelo Badalamente. But there's, and it, he, it's so fun. But in this movie, this is not fun. And it just makes everything, it doesn't feel quirky or funny. It feels just out of place and weird. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> this is an opinion podcast. <laughs> uh, when we cut back to Dorothy at the club, you said, oh, she's wearing blue velvet too. Good for her. Everybody's wearing blue velvet. <laughs> uh, it's, it's maybe a theme or a motif. Maybe. Uh, Student film. You said uh, she is a terrible singer. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> Uh, kind of a backhanded compliment on Laura Dern. She's got good bangs for the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when we see uh, Dorothy's changed her outfit, you say, oh, she's wearing red instead of blue. What could that mean? Transitions. Roy G. Biv. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exact Carla quote. Roy G. Biv. Uh, you said of Kyle McLaughlin's character, I hope he gets his ear cut off. <laughs> he didn't. He did not. Um, 
Probably my favorite sequence in the movie, and maybe one <gasps> of the, the most. the ending credits? <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of the most iconic is when they go to uh, Ben's apartment, played by Dean Stockwell, uh, where the uh, – the husband, where the creeps are creepy? Where the creeps are creepy. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kind of uh, just Lynchian freakazoids there, just weird people, and then Frank's gang. Uh, and uh, Dean Stockwell is this guy, Ben, who uh, Frank keeps calling Suave, uh, who is uh, kind Creep. of – Kind of effeminate and has his uh, you know, uh, face painted pale. Uh, and there's this great scene uh, where he lip syncs to Roy Orbison's In Dreams. <laughs> while Dennis Hopper kind of uh, has these weird uh, paroxysms in, in reaction to him. Uh, What's paroxysms? Uh, just like, you know, spasms. Okay, okay. And uh, Carla's reaction to this iconic scene was uh, she put her thumbs down and did a giant raspberry. <laughs> this, oh, that's right. I forgot. This is what I did. Okay. Imagine thumbs down and me going. In dreams, I walk with you. A candy colored clown they call the Sandman. And Carla's farting all throughout this. Uh, for My real. fart. Would have she gone longer. Really my raspberry would have gone longer, but Benny jumped on my lap in the middle of it. Benny, you ruined that raspberry. Oh yeah, that was the worst. Why was that scene so that bad? That was a real low. I think I think I was just done, dunsies. <laughs> I, w- I was like an hour done. All oh, the Frank Booth dialogue is so funny though. Uh, I can't laugh at anything that that creep says. Uh huh. He's so, Dennis Hopper or the character. Uh, Dennis Hopper. Okay. No, the character. Uh. Because he's so crazy and violent and upsetting and just horrible. Like, none of it's funny to me. Like, I can't even find a way into the funny. Yeah. Uh, he's so, he's so crass. <laughs> Cause it's like, you, you want me to pour the beer, Frank? No, I want you to fuck it. Yeah. It's just so weird. <laughs> I can see how, like, a teenage boy would think that that was really funny, but I just feel like people, <laughs> Me and my friends Mature thought it adults. was hilarious. Right, but it's but it's really not when you think about the fact that he's holding this woman captive, and they're at this place where her her son is being held captive in the next room. Like, I get it as a, a teen boy, like not having any life experience, but as a <laughs> mature adult, it's. I still haven't had that much life experience. Oh boy. <laughs> But yeah, there's something, uh, there's jar, it's jarring about these scenes of violence and these kind of like stilted and weird scenes that are juxtaposed in that way. And that's what makes Lynch so unique and memorable and different from any other filmmaker. Okay. Just a couple more Carla's quotes. I didn't have that many on this one. I was silent for a lot of it because I was doing. At one point, uh, Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern say they uh, they love each other. Or she says she loves him. She says, I love you too. And you said, except I was fucking this other woman just a couple minutes ago. Yeah. What a weird, weird movie. About that pair, you said, they both have weird chins. You even <laughs> Kyle and Laura. Oh. You don't like their chins. I guess not. If I said it, it must be true. It must be true. At one point, an old-timey ambulance pulls up, like probably an ambulance that you might find in the 50s or 60s, and you said, Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> it looks like a <laughs> Ghostbuster car. 
finally, you know, the, uh, the recurring, uh, line that occurs throughout the movie, um, uh, ends the movie when they're looking at the Robin, uh, the fake Robin with the bird, uh-huh. or with the bug in its mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, and one more time he says, it's a strange world, isn't it? And Carla's final judgment on the movie, what a piece of shit. <laughs> It's the worst movie if you've never seen it. Don't waste your time. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, Roger Ebert, your old friend, uh-huh. from, where'd you meet him again? Uh, the Mall of America <laughs> well, in old, Minneapolis. Your old friend from the Mall of America. And wh- where was he eating? At, um, not Hard Rock, the other one, Planet Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> Ebert was eating at Planet Hollywood? Yeah. Oh. Uh, in that picture that we posted on Twitter, you can see Demi, a cutout of Demi Moore behind us. Okay. <laughs> that feels a little on the nose to him of like, now I, I, I feel like he totally deserved to be approached if he's just sitting there in Planet Hollywood. Agreed. Uh, um, but in his original, uh, review that came out uh, at the time of Blue Velvet. Uh, he gave it one star. And in general, he's a fan of, of David Lynch, but he did not care for this movie. And here's a, here's a quote. Um, if Blue Velvet had continued to develop its story in a straight line, if it had followed more deeply into the implications of the first shocking encounter between Rossellini and McLaughlin, it might have made some real emotional discoveries. Instead, director David Lynch chose to interrupt the almost hypnotic pull of that relationship in order to pull back to his jokey small-town satire. Is he afraid that movie audiences might not be ready for stark S&M unless they're assured it's all really a joke? I was absorbed and convinced by the relationship between Rossellini and McLaughlin and annoyed because the director kept placing, kept placing him himself between me and the material after five or ten minutes in which the screen reality was overwhelming i didn't need the director prancing on with a top hat and cane whistling that was all in fun Mm -hmm. well that's an interesting Mm -hmm. idea i would say that he liked the movie uh, or he wanted more of what i absolutely did not want more of in the movie um, although I guess he's referring to Kyle McLaughlin and Isabella Rossellini's relationship as opposed to Isabella Rossellini and Dennis Hopper's relationship. Sure. Um, so yeah, so we did not talk about the idea of, I, I guess we're watching her violated in some way. And then, uh, after Dennis Hopper leaves, Kyle McLaughlin comes out and she tries to sleep with Kyle McLaughlin and then he leaves, but he comes back the next night and sleeps with her and she wants him to hit her and he does. And those things. He goes on to say in the review that he he feels uh, that the movie is abusive to Isabella Isabella Rossellini. I agree. Yeah, and uh, that the director did uh, his leading lady a disservice. Now, of course, they ended up dating after making this movie yeah. for five years. Um, I actually read her autobiography maybe fifteen years ago. Really, and she had left Martin Scorsese for David Lynch, wow. and then David Lynch left her for another actress. Yeah. Um, but she was really in love with him. So she said in her book. So clearly, uh, they got along. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's a strange world. And, you know, it's a movie, so, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, she's like, um, uh, victimized again and again in that movie in a way where, and it's all through his eyes. It's never through her experience. It's just through him finding out who she is. And and even after Dennis Hopper violates her and Kyle MacLachlan 
uh, goes to leave, it's like there was one moment where she looks upset, but they, it's all just watching Kyle McLaughlin watch her be upset. So you never really get a sense of like where she is and why she's there even. Film critics love David Lynch in the way that they love Hitchcock and De Palma because they're always kind of making commentaries on voyeurism Mm -hmm. and the idea of paralleling the audience experience of us being voyeurs of looking in on other people's lives uh, when we watch a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that's one of the things that that critics always respond to in Lynch is kind of the meta commentary on movies itself. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, just the idea of like, I get that. I understand. I feel like I, when I re-listen to these, I say, I get it a lot <laughs> on this podcast. I get it. I get what you're saying. Uh, meaning it's, you know, um, uh, this guy becoming, this boy becoming a man is the story, right? Kyle McLaughlin going from innocence into understanding what the real world is about. I just don't think that it should be at the disservice to this woman. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's just not a story that, oh gosh, I'm just so sick of watching men, uh, <laughs> use women as excuses to grow up. Sure. And how being else abusive are, how, and how else are we going to grow up? It's fucking, I'm so sick of seeing these types of things. Uh, so, so I'm sure that that colors everything, all of my feelings for this film and and how furious it makes me. You've helped me grow up. Oh God. I'm trying to make a real point here. (laughs) I'm trying to be a feminist. Uh, no, I am a feminist and it's a really offensive film. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I also, I reread this David Foster Wallace essay on David Lynch as well. Uh, also one of my favorite, uh, writers and thinkers, uh, cause I was, curi- man. what's that? Just kidding. <laughs> uh, cause I was curious to get his point of view and, uh, here's a quote from David Foster Wallace. You almost never from a Lynch movie get the sense that the point is to entertain you and never that the point is to get you to fork over money to see it. This is one of the unsettling things about a Lynch movie. You don't feel like you're entering into any of the standard unspoken and or unconscious contracts you normally enter into with other kinds of movies. This is unsettling because in the absence of such an unconscious contract, we lose some of the psychic protections we normally and necessarily bring to bear on a medium as powerful as film. That is, if we know on some level what a movie wants from us, we can erect certain internal defenses that let us choose how much of ourselves we give away to it. The absence of point or recognizable agenda in Lynch's films, though, strips those subliminal defenses and lets Lynch get inside your head in a way movies normally don't. This is why his best films' effects are so often emotional and nightmarish. We're defenseless in our dreams, too. This may, in fact, be Lynch's true and only agenda just to get inside your head. He seems to care more about penetrating your head than about what he does once he's in there. Is this good art? It's hard to say. It seems, once again, either ingenuous or psychopathic. It sure is different anyway. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you think the choice is about to uh, – like because he could have made a movie where this these horrifying things happen to Kyle McLaughlin. Sure. Where the man is put through this crazy shit. But instead he chooses, you know, for the women to be victimized. I mean, why do you think that is? Having seen other – work of his and it's true with twin peaks too 
Sure. Oh, I don't think he's unique in that either of, you know, most, uh, for years, most cinema has been made by white men and it's through the viewpoint of white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so women are seen, uh, as in supporting roles to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I think it's no different than the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I, 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 I can't, uh, I was just wondering if in your research you ever found any David Lynch quotes talking about his work. Well, he talked about his work very little. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, I don't think he knows why he does what he does, or at least he doesn't like to explain it, mm-hmm. or at least he likes to play dumb to people. Um, so, you know, which he, is fair. I mean, he thinks the the movie should stand uh-huh. for itself. Right. And uh I think a lot of times it really is random things from his dreams or just images that have come to him that he wants to put into a movie uh and he's not worried uh of what it adds up to. Um uh, uh did you ha- was this the first time you had seen it since you were a teenager? Oh no, I've seen it probably six or seven times. When was the last time you had seen it before this weekend? Maybe six or seven years ago. And did it hold up for you in the same way? Yeah. Well, I think to me, it's got to stay on the list uh, (laughs) just because it was that movie that expanded my mind and challenged what I thought a movie could do or what a movie could be. And it was the gateway into other more experimental um, and challenging movies. Uh-huh. And so uh, I – and yeah, like it was, it was exciting as a suburban teenager to go into the big city and go to an adult movie theater and mm-hmm. see what felt like an adult movie rather than the things that played at the local Cineplex. You know, it was probably the first like art movie mm-hmm. uh, that I saw in the theater, you know, uh, and – that's why it stuck with me to this day. And so, yeah, I think I'm certainly not as flippant, uh, about violence toward women as I was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it does, uh, affect and bother me much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think watching this movie makes me flash back to, those teenage years uh and, and I, I can see it through the eyes of of that craig uh-huh okay that's a fair <laughs> response <laughs> it's your list you get to keep it on your list but i would just i would just recommend not taking off poltergeist <laughs> uh if something has to go i would i would just recommend maybe this one you preferred poltergeist yeah you'd say uh this, this is the I'm going to say this is your least favorite movie that we've watched so far. I, I really think this is the, my least favorite, favorite movie, movie I've ever all seen. Time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how to, you know, hmm. uh, I'll have to think about that okay. some more. Um, but nothing else is coming to mind. The room was pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's, that is really an amateurish movie. Uh, uh and everybody know, you know, you watch it as knowing it's a bad movie. Um, uh, this this might be the movie uh that is like the most critically acclaimed 
that has come up the most short for you? The yeah. uh, putting the violence aside, I just thought it was laughably the bad. <laughs> like it just it didn't seem like he was. I don't know. It just felt like he was making fun of something and I didn't understand what he was making fun of. I guess the closest to satire came to me was when, you know, the suburban things that he was Mm -hmm. lampooning. Um, Yeah. But, but that meshed with all of the kind of, as you said, underbelly stuff that didn't work for me. It's almost a film noir parody of sorts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and I think like the, you know, the disaffected performances, there's another uh, great, the video essay that I sent you is. That I didn't watch because I. You did not watch. It's full of images from all of his movies and they're juxtaposed mm-hmm. really interestingly. Uh, it's, it's called David Lynch, the elusive subconscious and it's on a YouTube channel called Channel Criswell. Criswell, I guess, is the, uh, the critic, mm-hmm. uh, that put it together. And he kind of puts out that Lynchian is, uh, is a feeling of elusiveness, unfamiliarity, and what was once familiar. Anything can happen, and that's the most terrifying thing. Uh-huh. And because people are not reacting in ways that is recognizably human mm-hmm. uh, or in the ways in which we would react, uh, and it's another common thing in David Lynch is that, that somebody has like an emotional outburst that you have no idea of what the justification uh, or reason for it is, and so you really can't trust anything um, that you see up there on screen and you don't understand the motivations of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly for some people, that's an exhilarating experience. Clearly for others, including Carla, that's a frustrating experience. Right. Okay. I can see that. I, um, again, I think that it, 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 the style just works better when it's not, uh, when, when there aren't, when there's not so much violence. Sure. <laughs> like it's just easier to laugh at all of those things and to appreciate, um, how uh, animated or over the top they are when there's not, uh, so much violence happening at the same time. Dennis Hopper was nominated for an Academy Award. Which seems absurd. For Hoosiers. Oh. <laughs> not for, not for this movie. <laughs> But it, it was kind of the uh, – it was commonly held that it was really the Academy honoring him for Blue Velvet, but they didn't want to actually nominate that performance. So they uh, nominated him for another movie that came out the same year. That's funny. Instead. Lynch was nominated for Best Director. Uh-huh. He did not win. Nah, nor should he have. <laughs> uh, the improv team that I coached for years in Chicago mm-hmm. was co- called Frank Booth. Uh, oh. named after Dennis Hopper's character in, in this movie. Interesting. I was also on another improv team called Mr. Blonde, which is named after Michael Madsen's character in Reservoir Dogs. So uh-huh. that was a common theme, I guess, in early 90s. Uh, Chicago <laughs> improv is uh, naming your team after a, uh, a cinematic villain. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't realize that that was <clears throat> what that was. Another Lynch trademark is the use of like industrial noise and room tone huh. uh, to kind of disorient you. Um, the sound design in Eraserhead is kind of infamous, you know, because it's all this this industrial noise playing in the background. It just creates this really creepy, disconcerting feeling. Uh, Roy Orbison's career was actually resurrected by this movie. Hmm. Uh, he originally did not want 
the song uh, included in the movie, and then somehow David Lynch got around it somehow and, and got it in anyway. And Roy Orbison had not had a hit since the mid-60s uh, and had pretty much been dormant for – I mean, I think he'd been touring and doing shows and stuff. Uh, but this kind of uh, – in the last few years of his life, uh, got – renewed interest in his songs then he joined the traveling wilburys weird and uh put out a, a solo record that was a big hit so and then he uh died i think in the early 90s um what else do we got i don't know i feel pretty good i feel like we've covered a lot you, you want to give us a letter grade carla <laughs> Um, let's give it a G. A G. Okay. Which Lower than an F. Lower. <laughs> <laughs> what does the G stand for? Um, God help us all. <laughs> well, for uh, a little khaki theater, though, we've got to do a scene from the movie. Which, um, yeah, like I don't even know how to make any of this funny. Well, I have actually the, uh, the Robin speech by Laura Dern printed out for you if you want to. Uh, oh, you want me to read it? Not improvise it? Well, okay. we could use that as a starting point and then improvise from there. You're saying you don't want to improvise a scene from this movie. No, I will. That's part of what we do. That's part of the structure of the fucking podcast. <laughs> so you, you, but you're doing this under protest. No, Is that I'm not. Fair I'm not. To say? Okay. It's not under protest. Okay. It's not. I just, yeah. So this is Jeffrey. Just and- really miss Acker. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this would have been if Acker had been here? You think it would have Actually, me? I think it would have been you two ganging up on me. <laughs> uh, Acker- and me not being as blunt because he's a guest and I wouldn't want to sure. step on I him. think it's probably good that you were uh, allowed to be as blunt as you wanted to be. You're right. Then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Acker, if you watched it and whether you liked it or not. Yeah, you'll have to tweet at us. Don't text or call us. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't call us, whatever you do. <laughs> Craigslist PCAST at twitter.com. <laughs> Whatever it is. At Craigslist PCAST is the Twitter handle. Are you sure, Grandpa? So this is, uh, this is Jeffrey and, uh, Sandy in the car. So you want me to start with this speech? Well, yeah, whatever. It's, uh, you know, it's just a reference point. Okay. I'll start with it and then we'll go, we'll start with the speech, the real speech, you guys, and then we'll improvise off of it, out of it. Okay. Into something else. <laughs> I had a dream. In fact, it was on the night I met you. In the dream, there was our world, and the world was dark, because there weren't any robins, and the robins represented love. And for the longest time, there was this darkness. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, thousands of robins were set free, and they flew down and brought this blinding light of love. And it seemed that love would make any difference. And it did. So, I guess it means that there is trouble until the robins come. That's a great dream, Sandy. Well, thanks, Jeffrey. I, I just feel so comfortable around you. I just, I just want to show you my everything. Your everything. Will you put your disease inside of me? Wait, 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 wait. What? Where is this coming from? I heard someone say it. Disease. Well, somebody said it to me the other day. Well, we're in a dream, aren't we? Maybe I was right behind you. We're not in a dream. This is real. Oh. So, will I, you? Will you put your disease inside of me? What, what, what do you mean by that, Sandy? Well, I think you could probably guess. You're talking about my dick? 
I don't refer to it as my disease. And I don't refer to it as your dick. Let's go get some Heineken. Heineken? I prefer PBR. Um, Heineken's a, a foreign beer. Oh. So it's more exotic and, and grown up. I've never left this town. I've never crossed outside of this this town, the boundary of this town. I never could. If I did, I'd be transported to a different era. Can I touch you? Can I touch you? <laughs> touch you on your weird chin? <laughs> Benny, stop it. <laughs> okay, so basically, <laughs> Benny was so bothered and disturbed by our reading from uh, Blue Velvet uh, that he started barking. Actually, what happened is the UPS guy was there, and there's nobody that Benny hates more than delivery people. That's true. We got some wine delivered, Carla. Oh, let's open a bottle of it. <laughs> Just kidding. I have to go to work. Okay. Well, that'll take the edge off your disappointment in Blue Velvet. Well, you know... By the way, everything that I said in that scene was at least one line from the movie. <laughs> the disease thing, she yeah, totally yeah. says that in the movie. The PBR thing, totally says that in the movie. Sure. Just saying. Okay. It's not you like... You refuse to improvise a line. <laughs> I'm saying that I refuse to take credit for those horrible lines <laughs> because... <laughs> okay, so you're blaming it. Yeah. On David Lynch. All right. So what's next? Well, we're a tenth done with this podcast, Carla. We've finished our first ten movies. And believe me, my hope is that you will love these movies. I just had a feeling about this one that it was not up your alley. You were right. You know me, baby. I do know you. Uh, so I apologize for making you watch something. No, you gave so... me a pass. You're good. You say I can. You say I can have a pass, but I wanted to be respectful and try. And actually, I'm glad that I saw it. So now I can openly. Um, show my disdain for it whenever it comes up in conversation. Great. Yeah. You're informed. Exactly. You're an informed viewer. Yeah. So we've only got 90 more movies to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I don't think there are some other sad movies, some other heavy movies, some other movies with violence. There is nothing like Blue Velvet on the list. So, Great. uh, I can't imagine there'll be anything that you'll dislike more. So 10 movies in, uh, uh, I'm going to guess Blue Velvet was your least favorite. La Dolce Vita was your second least favorite. Yep. Dog Day Afternoon was definitely your favorite. Yep. And then what was your second favorite? Uh, what else did we watch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I liked Poltergeist was fun. It wasn't great, but it was fun. Lenny, Return of the King. Lenny was, was pretty good. Return of the King was fine and fun. Um, Splendor in the Grass was pretty good. Squid in the Whale. Squid in the Whale was pretty good. Seven. Probably seven. I liked seven. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Seven would probably be my number two. Okay. So uh, number 90 is up next week, and this is a 1981 fantasy movie directed by Terry Gilliam. A what A what one? A fantasy movie. What year? From 1981. Were you listening 19- to anything I just said? No, because I was remembering that we didn't say say anything, and I like saying anything. Oh, say so. anything. Of course. Now I'm listening. Go ahead. What did you say? <laughs> This movie came out in 1981, directed by Monty Python's Terry Gilliam, and it's entitled Time Bandits. Oh. I think I made you watch this movie before. Yeah, we've seen this together before. Okay. We watched this when we were living on a boat. That's right. Traveling the world. You excited to see it again? I remember thinking it was fun. Okay. Am I excited to watch it again? <laughs> I don't know if that would be the right way to say There it. are fantasy elements to this movie. There's a bunch of uh, dwarves in it. I do appreciate an easy one after Blue Velvet, though. Thank you very much. But there, I, 
I think I'm remembering the darker elements of Time Bandits because it, it has kind of a dark ending to it. And because it's Terry Gilliam, it's not quite a kid's movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it certainly is not a kid's movie. There's some really light and funny moments in it, but I think there's a darkness to it too. So this could be one where you could watch that and I could watch The Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> you could always watch The Goonies. I'm not okay. going to stop you from from doing that. So you, you might want to take a pass, watch The Goonies no, instead? No, I'm okay. not going to take a pass on Time Bandits. Are you kidding me? Okay. <laughs> I'm saving my passes for the war movies or the, I don't know, oh, the Clockwork Oranges or the whatever. I don't have Clockwork Orange, though I used to. Really? Yeah. Oh. That's a movie that actually rewatching it uh, as an adult was too violent and disturbing for me. Good for you. <laughs> Though I do think it's a masterpiece. Okay, great. Uh, so you could, you know, only watch a third of Time Bandits. That's okay, the minimum. Okay, well, we'll see how it goes. Okay. I can't make any promises. Who knows what this week holds in store for us? And who knows what this week holds in store for you, listeners? Thank you it's so much. It's a strange world. It's a strange fucking world. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Craigslist. We'll talk to you soon. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.